Um, the, the problem with being deceived is it's one of the most frustrating things we have to deal with in life because what it does is it crushes and it destroys the most fragile thing that we give to other people. And that's our trust. It, it, you crush trust. It's the most fragile and precious gift that we give to somebody else. And it, it's easily destroyed and it takes a lifetime to regain. You know, Abraham Lincoln said that you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. You know what happens when you start fooling people? We call it deception. They're not going to like it. They're not going to hang around with it. And, and they, they just aren't going to be putting up with being deceived. Uh, they'll never trust you again. The more you deceive people, the less they're going to trust you. And most of us would agree with Randall Terry who said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so we, we've got this idea about being deceived that goes right to the core of our being. When we're deceived out of our money, we really get mad because what we're thinking about that whole time, and I, whether it's five bucks or whether it's, $15,000. You get deceived out of money and you're mad because you're going like, I should have seen that coming. I should have done more investigation on whatever it was that I got deceived out of. And so when we get deceived out of money, we're just mad and we want a pound of flesh. But you know, when we get deceived in our relationships, whether it's, it's the... Uh, marriage, or it's a friendship, or it's a parental relationship, those deceptions are hideous and sinister because those are the deceptions of the heart and they ruin people for a lifetime. When someone has given blind trust in a relationship and that trust has been purposefully trampled on, there's an intentional deception and it's saying one thing, only one thing, when they're living in a secret and completely different life that eventually comes to light and the devastation of that relationship and destruction, it's far-reaching. And the thing it is saying is, I made a fool out of you. This early this fall, I was talking with a young guy that I have met a number of times um, throughout the United States in, in my travels. And what had happened recently in his family is that his father's deception of 40 years finally came to light. 40 years, he'd been married to his mom. His dad and mom had been married for more than 40 years. But for 40 years, this guy had been deceiving everyone. He deceived his wife. He deceived his children. He deceived his colleagues. And here's the thing. He was a pastor. He was a denominational leader. He was a mentor to young pastors going into ministry. And he had deceived everyone. And when his sexual sin came out and the deception was so widespread, everybody was blown away. Everybody's hearts were trampled on. Everyone felt sick to their stomachs because here is a man who claims to walk with God and he has, his whole life has been a deception. And we all know stories like that. And you may have even been a part of a story like that. And I want to tell you, if you've been deceived on that level, I'm sorry that that ever happened to you because God never intended for a man who is a Christ follower to ever deceive anyone. Nobody should be deceiving anybody, but the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible tells us. And so outside of the realms of being renewed and regenerated by Christ, our hearts are deceptive and we will deceive people. But when we step into a relationship with Christ, all those things kind of go aside. And so, you know, as we think about deception... And, and the deception in relationships, that's a horrible thing. But guess what? There is a deception that is even far worse than relationship deception. And that's called spiritual deception. And the reason why it is so hideous for spiritual deception is because the souls of men, women, and children hang in the balance when they're being deceived. And that's a bad thing. 
you know, um, what we really want to think about this morning is that in, in what we're going to be talking about, John's warning in the passage that we're going to be reading, uh, that these verses when we're looking at, is that false teachers are always seeking to deceive Christ's followers into believing something that isn't true about who Jesus is, about God the Father, about the work of the Holy Spirit, about what Jesus accomplished on the cross in, for our behalf. And those false teachers are not setting their own agenda, but they're rather following the agenda of the great enemy of our soul, who, who has no, no other agenda. Here's, here's, here's Satan's agenda. It's the agenda for your life. It's the agenda for your marriage. It's the agenda, agenda for your children. It's the agenda for this church. It's the agenda for everything that carries on in this world. Here's Satan's agenda. To rob, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. And he's going to do it in the church, and he's going to do it outside of the church. And what, the way he does it in the church is through false teachers and false teaching and false doctrine. He is a deceiver. He is a counterfeiter. counterfeiter. He is a liar. And Jesus said that those religious leaders who were leading people away from God, who were false teachers, here's what Jesus said to them. He said in John chapter 8, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Did you know that when you tell a lie to somebody that all you're doing is you're mimicking the, the, the prince of this world, Satan himself. You're, you're doing what he taught you to do. And, and when a life is not formed and connected deeply to Jesus, people will start in their own minds to formulate ideas that are not of the gospel. They would develop theories and doctrines that are not derived from Scripture. As a matter of fact, what often happens with the deceptive doctrine is that the doctrine is developed, and then what those people will do to try and make it sound like it came from God is they will search the Scripture to find some obscure verse somewhere that they can attach to their doctrine, doctrine, They twist it so that it fits what they want to have happen. And the problem is, is they've taken it completely out of the context in which God meant for it to be in, and they've twisted it and given it a different meaning. And so it sounds right, and it sounds spiritual, but it doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. Therefore, it is false doctrine. And people will bring that to you. They will bring that to me. They want us to step in and... and to believe these false doctrines. But true biblical doctrine originates from the Bible. It comes out of the Bible. This is what the Bible says, and then we build our doctrine around what the Word of God says, not vice versa. And so when you hear people saying something that that sounds kind of maybe like it could be true, and then you start to look into it, and you understand that there, it's just packed full of lies, and you think to yourself, how could anybody with a half a brain believe any of this hogwash? I mean, you have to be really kind of checked out. You probably know people that have, have read and heard and been, been deceived into believing something that isn't true. And you look at them and you go, you're really quite an intelligent human being. How can you believe this false doctrine? I don't get it. You know, um, so anything that comes to us that is packed with lies, false doctrine, it comes straight from Satan because there's no truth in Satan at all. He's a liar. And, and what he does is he tries to use confusion to deceive people from believing the real deal about Jesus. And when something that sounds like it's true 
or could be true, but if Scripture doesn't confirm it, then it's not true. And if it's not true, then you need to throw it out. You need to forget it. It doesn't matter how, what it makes you feel like. Oh, it makes me feel really good, though, Pastor. Get over it. Pizza might make you feel good for a half an hour, and then it comes back to bite you. So just forget that stuff. In, in 1 John, this is where we're at this morning. Here are the two verses. We're looking at two verses this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And here's, we'll read the whole thing, and then I'm going to highlight the first verse. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it, as, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We're going to go look at verse 26 to begin with. And, and I want you to see that because it says that I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. If you think that there are people out here who are spiritually minded that are not trying to deceive you, you're already deceived. The crazy thing about deception is that you don't know you've been deceived until you've been deceived. It's already too late. It's already happened. It's already taken place. And you're like, oh, how could I have fallen for that? And that's kind of the thought per pattern we have in, in, our, in our thinking. And the people behind such deception, spiritual deception, only have one agenda in mind. And it's the agenda of deceiving people. And most times in this country, when you look at spiritual leaders who are deceiving other people, their major purpose, not all the time, but most of the time, Catch what I just said. Most of the, I'm not lumping everybody into one salad bowl, not painting them all with one brush, but most of the people that are bringing spiritual deception in the U.S., North America, Canada, they're doing it for money. And believe me, there is a lot of money to be made in spiritual deception because you make promises about God that God never made. You're telling people things that aren't true. You're talking about stuff that's not going to ever happen because God said, he, he never said that. Matter of fact, what, what they tell you goes against what God said. But they don't want you to look that up and find that out for yourself. You know, Paul talks about this in Romans. In Romans 16, he said this about these kind of people who, who go out and try to deceive people. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Are you naive? You know what? Um, we, we have a tendency to, to step into being naive people. Because guess what Jesus called us? Sheep. They're not smart. Bunch of dumb sheep. Not only that, they're probably stinky too. Are goats stinky, Carol? Are sheep stinky? Don't be a goat. They really stink. So, we, we have a tendency in our heart because we want to believe the best about people who are going to bring something that says, hey, let me tell you about God. And because our hearts are already in tune with God, we're going like, okay, come on. Tell me something that I want to know about God. And the first thing you, you will hear from these people is what they're, when they're trying to bring deception to your mind is they're going to start talking outright denial about the inerrancy of Scripture. That's the first place they start. You, you can tell when there's deception going on because they're going to say something like, you can't believe everything the Bible says to be literally true. You, you, you know, the stories in the Bible, they're more like Greek mythology. They're just stories. They really didn't happen. Jesus didn't really walk on water. Peter really didn't walk on water. Jesus 
he really didn't die on the cross and raise from... I mean, this is all figurative kind of speech and that kind of thing. When you start to hear that kind of talk going on, you need to go, hold it a second. Uh, and then you start to ask questions to get some clarity. Because they're, they're, they're trying to take and twist the Bible into being something other than what it is, and that's the authority of God's Word. The second thing is those who are deceivers, they're not going to embrace Jesus as fully God. They will not embrace Jesus as fully man. They will not embrace the incarnation of Christ. They, they're not going to say that, that Jesus has an eternal nature or that his substitute, substitutionary atonement on the cross was for us. When people deny the exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation, error is abounding and false teaching has taken over. And many of the cults negate and deny the triune God. They don't believe or teach about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, they'll deny the existence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and will insist on Him as being some kind of a warm, fuzzy kind of spirit that makes you feel good or gives you good thoughts. Have you heard that recently? Okay, I'm taking a little bunny trail right here. It's not going to go very far. But I'm just telling you, I've heard this from a number of people recently who are not Christ followers, and, and they're trying to, you know, when something tragic happens in, in, in and around your world, uh, they want to say something like, you know what, I feel really bad for you. And what we used to say, even if it wasn't true, we'd go, hey, I'm praying for you. People said that all the time, even though it wasn't true. They weren't going to pray for you. They just wanted to make you feel good. But now, you know what they say? I'm thinking good thoughts for you. That's what that does, because a good thought doesn't do anything. It's just horrible. So when we have these false doctrines, these false teachers, and false religions, they'll disavow um, anything that has to do with God as being the triune God and Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross, and the Holy Spirit who works in our lives. They're not going to teach that. They don't want you to know that. And if the teaching that doesn't include these things, you need to beware of that because you have entered into the deception zone. Now John goes on to say this, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Okay, so right off the first bat, you're, you're, rip, you're looking at this verse and you're going like, I don't need anyone to teach me. Um, let's go for lunch. Because Pastor Ken's teaching right now, and he's not a somebody, he's a nobody. Anyhow, so we're not going to listen to him because we don't need anyone to teach us. That's not what John just said. Because then John would be contradicting what Paul said in, in um, Ephesians 4, where he said, that God has given to the church gifts, and he names the gifts, and one of those gifts is shepherd slash teachers. Those are gifts to the church that God has given. And so it's not that we don't need teachers. What he is saying is you don't need someone to teach you the basics of, of your life with Christ. What are the basics? Let's see. Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. He lived a life as a man perfectly. Uh, he was under the hands of Pontius Pilate, uh, tortured and crucified. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to life and now sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the basic understanding of God's Word in our lives. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't have that in your mind, you need to find someone who is going to come alongside of you and help you to understand those things so that you can move on to greater and deeper things that God has for you. <clears throat> Here's the difference uh, about learning from what God has for us through what is revealed in Scripture and having an understanding or direction in your life that doesn't come from God. First of all, when the Holy Spirit is actively involved in your life, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life. You 
will produce fruit. All right. If you're not producing fruit in your life, you need to do some serious um, work with God. You need to be asking Him some pretty serious questions. Why am I not showing any fruit in my life? There's, there's something drastically wrong in your life if you don't produce fruit. Pastor Ken, don't say that. You're scaring me. Well, good. What John really wants us to get at is that those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit do not need to have someone teaching us basic spiritual things because the Holy Spirit teaches us. That's part of his job in our life. And here's the thing. The visible church will always have within it some who are not genuine Christ followers. Listen to me. There are people in here right now who are not genuine Christ followers. They know the language. They know what to do. But they're not genuine Christ followers. And and the way that we understand that is because Jesus explained it to us. In Matthew 13, he gives the story of the wheat and the tares, or the weeds. And what happens in the story, what Jesus says, is there's a sower who goes out and sows good seed, meaning the Word of God, into people's lives. It takes root, it hits the ground, it takes root, and it grows up, and it's producing something. God's Word promises never to come back void or empty. It always produces a harvest. And so amongst all these, these the wheat, it's, it's growing up. But what Jesus said is, the servants who were supposed to be watching and taking care of the field, they fell asleep. And while they were asleep, the enemy snuck in and sowed tares or weeds among the wheat. But the, you can't tell it when they're just growing up and they're just ee-wee little bitty things. You can't tell the difference till they're fully grown. And a, and a wheat and a tear, they look very close to each other. They're very similar. They're almost identical. And you have to be an expert to know the difference of them when they're growing up. But by the time they get so big, you can't, all of a sudden it's too late. And so what the servants said to their master is, should we go out and pull those weeds, those tares out of the wheat. And the master said, no, because if you do, you might pull up some of the wheat by accident. Leave them alone. Let them grow up. Because when it comes to the harvest time, we'll go out. The master will go out and he will gather all the weeds together. He will bind them up and he will throw them into the fire. And then he will harvest all the wheat and bring it into his barn. That is the picture of what happens in the church. You see, Jesus wasn't deceived. Jesus wasn't living a life where he's thinking like, oh man, it's going to be great. I'm going to bring this thing together called the church, and they're going to love each other, and they're going to get along with each other, and when one of those wolves in sheep clothing comes in the back door, they'll shoot him dead and drag him out and throw him in the ditch, and my, my bride is going to be perfect. No. He understood. He knew. He got it. And he prepared us. He gave us this. And he goes, look, you don't worry. It's not our job to worry about who's a weed and who isn't a weed. Who's wheat and who's a tear. I don't know that. I'm not going around and checking your resume. I'm not asking you questions like that because that job is left to God, not to me. And he will deal with it. Some of you are going like... Am I a weed? You're asking your wife, and she's going, no, you're not. You're a noxious weed. I'm just kidding. So, what we need to understand is that people, these people are expecting that because they have been, and these are the ones that are in the church, and they're weeds, they're tares. Here, here's their, some of their thought process. They think because I've been in church my whole life. I'm going to make it to heaven. I've got a membership here in church. I've got a membership in heaven. Or they're thinking, you know what? 
when I was a little kid, I got baptized. So that secures my spot in heaven with God. Or they're thinking, you know what? I'm a really good person. I've done a lot of really good things for a lot of people. I've given money to the church, a lot of money to the church. Therefore, when Jesus has his big dinner in heaven, I've already bought my place in heaven. I've got my assigned seat. I've already paid for it. It says reserved for me. And here's the bottom line in all that. None of that stuff gets you to heaven. The truth is, none of it will happen. Listen to me. I want you to hear this. If you have heard nothing else this morning, you need to hear this. You need to let the Spirit of God work this over, not just in your mind, but also in your soul. And that is this, that the only thing that will save your soul is repentance from your sin and putting your faith in Jesus. That's the only thing that gets you around the the dining table with Jesus, around the great feast of the Lamb. That is the only thing, the only way to salvation. And if you have never done that, and if you think that because you are a good person or that because you have a big heart and because you try to be kind to people all over the place or because you've gone to church for so long and that you and God are good, I'm going to tell you something this morning. You and God are not good. Because the Bible tells us that there is no one that's good. Not one. And the only way we get our goodness is through Jesus. He's the one that secured my goodness. Without Jesus, I'm horrible. I'm a rotten person. I'm a sinner. I'm not even a saint. Right now, I'm telling you right now, when God looks at me, he says, that's my boy right there, Kenny. Kenny the saint. Somehow nobody's given me that nickname except Jesus. And he's more important than you are anyway, so. It is only through Christ. If you haven't done that today, if you think you're going to heaven on some reason, some place, somewhere, but you have not come to that place of repentance and asking Jesus into your life, you need to do it today. Don't walk out of here with a full belly of turkey and go like, man, that was really good. And then your soul is in jeopardy. Don't do that. Now, I'll also tell you that there are some who are just plain old spiritually ignorant. We have spiritually ignorant people sitting in church. There's a huge difference between being spiritually ignorant and spiritually deceived. The difference between someone who gets, it's, it's this difference. This is what it looks like. It's between a guy who, okay, so there are, let me just ask this question. When you got married, for those of you that are married, that's not you kids over here, nor you, nor you and you, or you, or you. All right, so we got that taken care of. When you got married, those of you that are married, how many of you, I want to put your hand up, how many of you had pre-marriage counseling? Okay. I've got room this week, so uh, there's probably about 70 of you. Make a line. We'll sign up. You know, we did this. Yeah, some of you. Oh, boy. All right. So the rest of you are like this, this guy that I'm going to tell you about. He's in love with his girlfriend, and so he goes down to the roads, and he buys a big honking ring, and he slips it on her finger, and he says, hey, baby, will you marry me? And she says, oh, will I ever? And so the two of them go like, wow, when do you want to get married? And they're going like, hey, let's do it right now. You can fly out of Casper to, to Vegas for 38 bucks. Let's go. And so they jump on a plane, they fly down to Vegas, and they get married in that little chapel with Elvis, and it, it's all good, right? And they go and they have their honeymoon, and everything's great, and they've put the rings on each other's fingers, they've said, I do, and the thought that they have is now, we are going to live happily ever after. Every, this guy, this guy's thinking like, I don't have to do anything else. I put a ring on her finger. I said, I do. I've built this great little cottage that we're living in. It's perfect. It's, it's just awesome. It's quaint. It's cozy. This is great for the two of us. I've got this little cottage I've built, and we're going to live happily ever after. But what this fool doesn't know is that he built his cottage on the things called 
the railroad tracks of reality. And coming around the corner on the railroad tracks of reality is the train. And it is flying full steam ahead. And it's not stopping for anything. And this poor sucker, he walks out the front door and he looks up and the train hits his little cottage and absolutely demolishes it. And when the dust settles, he's like, golly, what happened there? I didn't see that coming. That's because you went into the most important relationship of your entire life and thought, I can figure this out on my own. I'm going to tell you, if you get married, you should be required to get marriage counseling before you get married. That's number one. Number two, if you have children, you need to sit in a class and learn how to be a parent because nobody's smart enough to get married and figure it out on their own and nobody is for certainly smart enough to be a parent. You should pass an IQ test. All right. So we have people who are just spiritually ignorant. They've put their little cottage up and they think it's all going to be wonderful. But what went wrong, it it all goes wrong. And the reason that they don't get it and the reason that things go wrong is because they are never spending any time in the Word of God to learn what God has to say for their life. (laughs) This thing feeds our souls. You don't come here to get fed by me. If you come here to get fed by me, you're starving spiritually. Feed yourself. You're not an infant anymore. Get out of the high chair, change your stinky diaper, and start to take care of yourselves because that's what Jesus told you to do. He wants you to be in the Word. He wants you to read those things. He doesn't want you to to be ignorant spiritually. And I suspect that there are even some who are teaching false ideas and, and... giving bad doctrine to others, they don't have an evil agenda to deceive others. They're just stupid, and they're doing the work of the devil for him. They need to get into the Word of God so they understand what it says, because it's totally different to be spiritually ignorant and to be deliberately deceiving other people. Big difference. Both are bad. Both are bad. And so Paul... When he was thinking about this, he wrote to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he said, those who walk with God will at some point, they're going to have to pay a price for living a godly life. And all the while, these who are are not walking with God, they're deceivers and deceiving others. That's what he says in, in 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13. It says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Did you get that? They're deceiving, but they're also continually being deceived by Satan. It's a cyclical thing. I get deceived, I deceive. I get deceived, I deceive. And it just keeps going like this. And we just keep dragging people in and along with us. And the worst part is is when, when people are dragging their own family members to a Christless eternity. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. So what do you do in order to keep from being deceived? There, you know, the answer really quite is simple. And it takes dedication and discipline to keep yourself from being deceived. You must immerse yourself in the Word of God. And when you know the Word, you will know the truth, and you will not be deceived because the truth is in you. The psalmist said, I hide God's word in my heart so that I won't sin against God. It keeps you from sin. It keeps you from being deceived. It gives you clarity and understanding. It helps you to know what to do. So when we go back to 1 John 2, 26 through 27, he says, I write these things to you about those who are, being dece- who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, about everything, it is true and is no lie. The anointing teaches you about everything. It's absolutely true. And you can count on it to deliver you into a place that produces more in your life than the things that you chase in this world. God didn't put you here to chase material stuff. God didn't put you here so you could fulfill your own purposes. He put you here because he has a very specific purpose for your life. 
And when you step in and you start to fulfill the purpose that God created you for, you will find more joy, you will find more excitement, you will find more contentment, you will find more happiness, and you will find more fulfillment in life than you've ever experienced before. So let me remind you about why it's so important to be in the Word of God. And it's what Paul also told Timothy. 316, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's what God's Word does for your life. I mean, if you're struggling with a sin issue, a continual sin issue, you need to immerse yourself in God's Word. If you're continuing running into... into, uh, Things in life that are, are bringing such great dissatisfaction to your life that you just you find no contentment. You're unsettled. You're unsettled in life. It's because you have not immersed yourself into the Scripture, breathed out by God. It is truthful in all that it says. God divinely inspires the Bible and is therefore valuable for teaching doctrine. And we must measure all all spiritual teaching and all spiritual things by the yardstick of the Bible. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to teach truth and refute error. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, coupled with the knowledge of the Word of God, is sufficient to guide us into truth so we will not be deceived by false teachers. I've, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. You should never believe everything I tell you. You should go and make sure that what I tell you lines up with the Word of God. Because if you don't, you could be deceived. Now, uh, we have really great uh, leadership team, our elder team. Those guys are in the Word of God. If I were to speak in error on purpose probably, and even if it wasn't on purpose. But if I brought some kind of false teaching from right here, you would see probably about six guys stand up and go, um, Pastor Ken, we need to see you in your office. Do you know what I have in my office? A shotgun. <laughs> Somebody's been in my office and they've... they've... Now look, it, it's perfectly safe. It's broken. My brothers broke it and then gave it back to me. Hey, here's your shotgun. We broke it. Enjoy. But the great thing is you can take the barrel off of it and beat somebody with it. So here's what Jesus talks about um, when we are dealing with false teachers who want to infiltrate the, the ranks of the church to bring false teaching to the church. Jesus told his disciples just shortly before he was going to the cross, he told his disciples that, that he was going to go back to the Father where he came from. And it was necessary for him to go back to the Father because if he didn't go back to the Father, then he would never be able to send the Holy Spirit. And, and until the Holy Spirit came, the disciples had zero chance of surviving on their own. But what Jesus said is, in, in Acts chapter 1-8, He says, I want you to go back and I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He will come upon you with power and give you power. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So any person who has made... Uh, a proclamation to Jesus. Remember when I said, repent of your sin and, and put your faith in Christ? When you do that for real, here's what Jesus does. He says, all right, Holy Spirit, fill that guy right there. Fill that guy right there. Fill that gal right there. Fill that gal right there. Fill that person over there. Fill him. Fill her. Fill him. Fill her. Fill him. And, 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 and every time, bing, boom. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden we're like, it's not like you go like, I can fly! That's LSD. Phil knows all about that. He'll tell you about it later. 
from the old days. So you can't fly, and you're not going to feel any different. You're not going to have superpowers. But what you're going to be is you're going to be infilled with the presence of the Holy Spirit who is going to teach you, who is going to comfort you, who is going to help you, who is going to rebuke you, who is going to make sure that you follow Jesus. But I'll tell you something else. You can thwart the work of the Holy Spirit in your life by being disobedient. All you have to do is say, nope, I'm not going to do that. And he's going to like, well, we can't go any further. He's a perfect gentleman. He will never go any place that you don't allow him to go. It's like if you come to my house and you see my bedroom door locked or shut, that means do not enter. And so you don't go in there. You don't walk into somebody's house and start going, hey, I wonder what's in this room. Oh, you get scared sometimes. People just don't want you in a room. They shut the door and that says don't go in there. And, and, and that's what happens with us. We start to have the Holy Spirit come and do work in our life. And he's starting to teach us and we're starting to grow and we're starting to... And, and he, he's working with us little by little by little by little. And then all of a sudden he comes to one of those issues in our life. It's a big issue in our life. It's not too big for him. It's a little thing for him. But for us it's a big issue and he's going like, now let's talk about this. And you go like, mm, no, uh-uh. No, uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. Not going to do that. You know, you know what happens when you don't do that? You thwart the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said in John 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even, when the, spirit, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then in 16:13 he says, when the Spirit of what? Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so the result of having the Holy Spirit, he comes to teach us because he indwells us. He knows every aspect about who we are. Guess what the Holy Spirit can do? He can read your mind. He knows your thoughts. He knows the things that you're thinking about doing that are sinful, and he says, "Eh, don't do that. We call it our conscience, but if you're a Christ follower, that's the Holy Spirit saying, don't go that way, don't go that way, don't go that way. And we go, I'm not going to go that way, I'm not going to go that way. And then we go like, ah, forget it, I can't help it, I'm going to go that way. And then the Spirit of God says, all right, let's start over. You know how you start over? You repent again, you confess your sin, he says, all right. Let's go. Let's try it again. And we come to the same place. And he says, let's do it together. Let me help you. Let me help you. Because in Romans 12, too, it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's not something that you can do. It's not behavioral modification that's going to take place. It's only by the Spirit of God that your mind is renewed. And that's what the Holy Spirit is here to do for us. And so what what happens is, is that we want to be In the Holy Spirit, we have abide in Him. That's what it says. Just as He taught you, abide in Him. What does it mean to abide in Him, and how can we go about accomplishing this thing? I'm almost done. Hang on, I smell the turkey too. (laughs) To abide in the Holy Spirit means to obey the Spirit's Word. The Scripture says to. To obey is to abide. To know the truth and rest in the truth is to abide in the Spirit. And at the beginning of verse 27, it says the Holy Spirit abides in us And in the latter part of 27, it says we are to abide in Him. And we do this by obeying the Word of God. In order to avoid being deceived, we must persevere in our relationship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. The ground for abiding in the Holy Spirit is found in the fact that since the Holy Spirit's character is true and there's no lie in Him, therefore what He teaches us is absolute truth. Unfortunately, some people who claim to be led by the Spirit Do things that are contrary to the example of Jesus. Jesus is truth. The Word of God is the truth. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so where the Spirit of God is at work, there will be truth. But when you deny to obey the work of the Holy Spirit, you're denying God's work in your life, and you will live in sin and be miserable.
the Holy Spirit will never lead anything or anyone to do anything contrary to the work of God or anything that's inconsistent with the Son of God. Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch can, cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm saying, I underline, you got that right there? For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. We've heard that for the second time to gate day and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Do you get that? There's a big if right there that Jesus laid out for us. He says that if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if, then you ask God whatever it is that you want. Your relationship that's really crappy right now, if you get into God's Word, you start to abide by God's Word, you live in God's Word, He's going to change that relationship. Your, your family that seems to be falling apart, and, and you, you keep trying to pray about it, but you can't get a prayer past the ceiling because you're not abiding in Christ. You're not abiding in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, everything that you're trying to do is out of the flesh, and the flesh doesn't accomplish anything. In God, all things are possible. So all teaching and religious experience that claims to be from God can be subject to five tests that will help every Christ follower discern its true source. The first test is the Bible test. All religious teaching and experience must be measured by the yardstick of Scripture. If such teaching and experience doesn't measure up, it should be rejected. The second test is the Jesus test. You should all go like, duh. Because it, here's the Jesus test. Does the teaching magnify Jesus? Does the experience point to Jesus? If it doesn't, then it's not the real deal and it needs to go in the trash can. The third test is the character test. Does the, the teaching or religious experience promote godly living? Are those who are doing the teaching living holy and godly lives. The fourth test is the decency and order test. Paul told the Corinthian church that all things must be done decently and in order. The fifth test is the evangelism test. Does this teaching or experience point people to the person and work of Jesus? Does this doctrine help or hinder people from coming to Christ? Apply those five things to the things you're learning, to the things you're reading, to the things you're listening to, to the things you're understanding, and make sure you're not being deceived. Because to abide in Him means to stay connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Jesus is our only true source. All right. I'm going to pray here in a second. And, and you know what? Um, Part of what has taken place this morning in talking about deception, you might be living a life of deception right now. <laughs> and you're going like, oh, I know where this is going, Pastor Ken, and I don't like it because I don't want people to know that I'm a deceiver. If you came to church this morning, you're a deceiver. You've recognized that. You've recognized in your heart that without God, all I've got is deception. And so I've come because... I have a tendency to be a deceiver, but praise God, He has saved me, and now I no longer have to live that way. But guess what? There are secret sins. And you're living in that sin, and you're trying to deceive your family, you're trying to deceive yourself, you're trying to deceive the church, you're trying to deceive God. And you've listened to the lies of the great deceiver himself. And he's telling you it's okay. You don't need to let anybody know. Nobody needs to know. I'm going to tell you today, that is not the truth. The truth is, is that Jesus said, confess your sin. 
one to another so that you may be healed. The truth is, is that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sin and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the truth. And if you're living a lie today, if you're living in deception, if you are being a deceiver, today is the day that you deal with that issue in your life. Is just come up here and get prayer. Your marriage might be a deception. Your work, your job might be a deception. I don't know what it is. But if God's been talking to you this morning, as we've been talking, remember I told you the Holy Spirit's going to do something, He will convict you of sin as well. That is His job. It's not my job to convict you of sin. I'm just supposed to, to tell you what it is. And if the Spirit pokes you right here, that, that's not me. If you hear these words, that's right. You're no good. You're a dirty, rotten little guy. God can't even love you. God can't even forgive your sin. That, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That's from the enemy. That's condemnation, not conviction. Conviction says, hey, let's deal with this so we can move on. Anyway, so the, the worship team's going to come up while I'm praying. While I'm praying, uh, I want you just to, to ask God, what is it you want me to do? And if God's calling you to, to deal with whatever it is in your life, and by the way, you can come up here for whatever reason. We've got the oil right there. The elders will anoint you with oil and pray for your healing as well. So whatever it is that God's calling you to this morning, we want you to do business with God because today is a day of thanksgiving in this church and we celebrate it by making things right with God. Amen? Our Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have brought to us the reality that we can be deceived, the reality that we will deceive others. And what you've called us to this morning is to step out of deception, let the Holy Spirit do His work in our life so that we can move on, so that we can grow in our relationship with you and then ultimately with other people as well. And so I pray this morning, God, for those people who are struggling right now, who are dealing with this, that they would listen to the voice of your Spirit that's saying, hey, let's deal with the issue right now. Let's don't put it off another day. And that you would bring them to the place where they would repent, where they would confess, where they would turn to you, and they would step back into fellowship, and they would experience the fullness of your word in their life. And we commit this to you in the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.